We're going to continue on with our same character that we talked about last week. We talked about David as a young man and God and how David and God did so well together. God called him a man after my own heart to something in him that was special. And we're going to look at David again tonight and see uh, what's on his mind. Another thing that he did, which is just very, very striking and unusual. Second Samuel in our text today. Second Samuel uh, chapter number 6. We want to think about there's a pretty fascinating chapter here on the life of David. It has good lessons in it for us and how he does what God wants. And God is pleased with what he does. And we get a couple surprises in the middle of it. So, 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to start reading at the first verse. Go a little bit and stop and think about it. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Now, he had just become king. And uh, Saul had gone off to battle, the other king, and got killed in battle. And so David was uh, called up to serve as king. He'd been anointed a long time before by God. Samuel sent God to anoint him to be king and give him the internal power, uh, the spiritual power to do that job. And uh, then the people said, we want him. He's our man. We want him to be king. And, uh, of course, he rose to fame by killing a guy that was 10 feet tall, (laughs) Goliath, all right? That's how he came into the national limelight. We'll talk about that another night, maybe. But uh, uh, here he is king, and this is one of the first things he's going to do as established now as the king of Israel. Verse 2, David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baalai of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And so uh, David is gathering a large gathering of people together, not just the 30,000 men, but a bunch of people with him, and they're going to go get the ark of the covenant. And it's his goal to bring the ark to Jerusalem. He wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. That's his plan. And that is really pleasing to God. Now if we're going to trace the history of the ark for a minute, uh, stop and think about it. It was built in the wilderness and Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness. And there on the mountain when God spoke with Moses, he got instructions. And those inst- among those instructions are how to build this ark. It's a wooden box that's laid over entirely in gold. It has a cover on it. It's called the mercy seat. And uh, it has rings on the side with bars and uh, to carry it. And 
Um, on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, those of you who saw, who was it that did it? Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. <laughs> All right. They, they didn't quite get it just right there, but uh, uh, on the cover of the Ark are two golden, solid gold cherubims. That is angels. And they are uh, bowing down, one on one side, one on the other, towards each other, and their wings touch. And so it's a solid piece of gold. And there were marvelous craftsmen that made this beautiful Ark of the Covenant. In it, you recall, were a few things. There was uh, Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron had a rod that was just a dead piece of wood. And uh, God made that dead piece of wood burst out with leaves and flowers. And they, they put that in the ark. There was a little container of manna that was in there for years and years. A little bit of manna in the ark. And things like that. Not many things. Only a few things inside the ark of the covenant. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> they built this box out in the wilderness and carried it wherever they went through the wilderness. And it was set up inside the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a big tent. And uh, if this was east, there was a doorway here. And there was a covering over the back, about third of it. In the first part, there was a, a table with 12 loaves of bread on it, candlestick on the other side, and a little uh, altar uh, for incense here. And then the Ark of the Covenant was past the second curtain in what was called the Holy of Holies. And this was uh, the altar of sacrifice. They carried that stuff around wherever they went through the wilderness. And when they got to the promised land and ready to go in, they carry it in across the Jordan River. As God dries up the flow of the Jordan River, they crossed the Jordan River carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And that's how they got the water to part. They carried the Ark, stepped into the water. And the waters parted and they went across. And uh, it becomes a center of attention once they get into the promised land because the first city that they're going to tackle is Jericho. And they carry the ark to Jericho, carry it around the city one day. Next day they carry it around again for three, four, five, six days. They make one lap around Jericho. On the seventh day, they go seven times carrying the ark around Jericho. And then they shout and the whole place falls apart. Uh, the walls of Jericho crumble down in front of the ark of the covenant. So it was used as an instrument of battle to show that God was on their side. And then they went to a place called Shiloh. And if you can think of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea with the Jordan River running between it. And they come up and they cross the Jordan. And fairly close by there's a place that they set up this tabernacle 
called Shiloh. And Shiloh, the word for shalom, means peace. All right, so they set the, the, the tent with the Ark of the Covenant up in Shiloh. And then they're going to go out and do battle. Jericho is right close by, so they take the Ark there. Uh, but uh, they go around all through the Promised Land, taking the land and uh, possessing the Promised Land. And the Ark stays in Shiloh, set up as their their headquarters, so to speak. Well, <clears throat> then comes a time uh, where uh, judges start to rule over Israel. And you don't hear anything about the ark at all. For one generation after the next, after the next, this judge rises up. You, you remember them. Gideon rises up. Samson rises up. Uh, uh, Jephthah and some of the other ones uh, become prominent. And they lead uh, God's people in different ways. But the ark isn't mentioned. It's not become a thing of interest to the people. They have lost their interest in the Ark of the Covenant. Not that there weren't good people there, but they didn't, some were, but they didn't focus on that Ark of the Covenant. Now the last thing that happens as the time of the judges end, just before time of the kings is, there's a, there's a old priest named Eli. He has two sons named Hopni and Phineas. And Hopni and Phineas said, we're going to go fight the Philistines and we'll just take the ark with us then we'll win. It's like they did at Jericho. So they take the ark with them into battle with the Philistines and they all shout are we going to win now? Well they didn't win. They got seriously beaten. Thousands of them were killed by the Philistines. And the Philistines took the ark in battle. And so now this central piece of the worship of God is in the, in the Philistine temple of Dagon. Dagon is a god that was half man and half fish. All right? And maybe you want your god half fish, but I don't want any fish in my god. You know, so they had a big old statue of Dagon in their temple, uh, half man, half fish. You want to know which half was which? I don't know. <laughs> What's the difference? The bottom half he's got the tail, and the top half he's got a mouth. It doesn't matter. He's half man and half fish. And they took the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon, and when they got there, Dagon fell down. So they stood him up again. They said, come on, Dagon, you can handle this. And they went the next day, and Dagon fell over. This time his head broke off and rolled to the door. <laughs> and God's saying, hey, get this fish out of here. All right? And so the Ark of the Covenant uh, just knocked over Dagon. And, and the Philistines, instead of saying, wow, that thing has power... Uh, they said, we're going to now worship the doorway where the head of Dagon lay when we got here. And you say, how ridiculous is that? How ridiculous is anything that doesn't focus on God? 
Right? If we're going to ignore God, and all in spite of everything He's done, if we're going to ignore Him, we're going to take ridiculous positions. And so they worshipped the doorway now where Dagon's head lay, uh, and they begin to get sick, have all sorts of things go wrong with them. They said, "We got to get rid of this ark, get this thing out of here." So they got two milk cows and tied them to a cart put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and sent it down the road. Get this thing out of here. And so God made the cows just walk straight to Israel. And when they got there, they just stopped in a field like a cow would. And the farmer there uh, said, well, look at that's the Ark of the Covenant. They've sent it back. And so they sacrificed the two cows took the ark and set it up at their house and uh, made a sacrifice to God. And they said, this is great. And then they opened the box. Am I supposed to do that? They said, let's see what's in it. They opened the box and then they died. So they said, get it out of here. We don't want it anymore. So it goes down to some other folks. They set it up in the city uh, where David is going to go get them. Uh, it's been there uh, ever since. Through all the judges, through all this time, it's been there. Uh, nobody paid any attention to it. And now David finally, uh, Saul wasn't interested in it and care anything about it. But David now comes to the throne. He's in full power now. We're going to go get the ark and get it where it belongs. And so he moves the ark, he's going to move the ark to Jerusalem where it will be the center of worship. And so what was ignored, mistreated, used for wrong purposes, now is finally going to come back and God is going to be central again where it should be. And so he's going to go get it. And the reason the Ark of the Covenant was such a special thing is that on the cover, you have this box and a, and a cover on it with the poles out the side. And on the cover are these two angels whose wings touch. And in that space, under the wings of the angels, was where God appeared. God appeared there as light. So when it was all set up inside the Holy of Holies, there'd be a light shining there called the Shekinah. What's called Shekinah, which means the light or the glory of God. And so that's what made the ark so special. And you say, well, it's a golden box. Yeah, well, that's not what makes it special. What makes it special is God said, I'm going to allow my presence to rest there on the ark in the form of light. And so the Shekinah glory of God sits on that spot. That's what makes the ark special. Now David, after generations of ignoring it altogether, said, I'm bringing it up to Jerusalem. We're going to make it the center of everything we do. And so he really gets a gold star with God. Uh, God gives him a gold star for that one because... God becomes central to 
through all that happens. And we don't have it right, my friends, until God is central to all we do. We're not there yet until God is central in our lives. He's the focus, the center of attention, and that's what David was doing, not just for himself, but for a whole nation. Whole nation, which would eventually, of course, lead to the whole world. And he's trying to bring God back into national life where it belongs. And he writes one of the most beautiful psalms, Psalm number 84. He writes one of the most beautiful psalms about it. And so what he's going to do eventually is he'll set the tent up in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Jerusalem has mountains around the Mount of Olives and then Mount Zion on the top of Zion. Mount Zion is where they would build later build the temple. But he sets the tabernacle up on Mount Zion. And now uh, Jerusalem is the capital. It's the city of the great king, they call it. And uh, it's set up there. So you and I would call it church. What the words that we have today, the way we think. Uh, but he calls it the tabernacle, which it was. Psalm 84 How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, it even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. He says, I really need God. I really want to be in God's house so much. I just. I have a, a hunger in my heart to be with God. Verse 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So he said, if I had three years, a thousand days, you tell me what's the best day in a thousand days? The day I went to church. The day I went there in God's presence, that was the best day. And he said, if I could stay there all the time, I'd be happy to be the doorkeeper. That's, I just love to go to the temple. That's what drives him, that love, that desire is what drives him to bring it to Jerusalem. And God gives him a gold star. You got it right, my friend. You get it right when you... Bring God to the center of life, the center of worship, and the center of government. All those things is what helps us to get life right, and God is pleased. We talked about last week, pleasing God. And now David's doing something that's very pleasing to God. Uh, here's, he says, the Lord of hosts, back in 2 Samuel 6, whose name called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. He's talking about the presence of God dwelling on the Ark of the Covenant. So let's go get it. Verse 3. They sent the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. 
And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord and all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries, on timbrels and on coronets and on cymbals. So they get a band or an orchestra, maybe is a better word for it. And they're playing a lot of uh, wooden uh, horns, uh, flutes like, and a lot of stringed instruments. That was David's instrument with stringed instruments and they've got um, uh, drums, cymbals. Uh, uh, They're really playing music as they bring the ark along. Verse 6. When they came to nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. So, they're playing all the music, bringing the ark to Jerusalem, and as they come to a threshing floor, which is probably a step up, uh, the oxen jerk a little bit, and it starts to fall. And Yuza, one of the two people who were uh, helping to transport, puts his hand up to steady the ark so it doesn't fall. And God kills him right there on the spot. Now, verse 8. David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Yuza, and he called the name of the place Perez Yuza to this place, or uh, he died violently. God killed him for touching the ark. And if he ask you the logical question, wouldn't you support Yusa making sure it doesn't fall? What if he just let it fall? What if it tumbled off the cart and hit the ground? Who knows what would happen? Would that be good? Well, so it seems like Yusa put his hand on steady it. And David's angry with God. And we're a little bit displeased too, because it seems like, why did he do, what's with God that he would do that? Why would he do that? And so, uh, you have to remember that everything God does is right. And if something, we're not happy with what God does, we're wrong. We're the one that's wrong. It's not God. And so, how are we going to answer this question? And David's pretty angry about it. He said, man, he just kept the thing from falling off the car. What, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? And so, uh, we got to stop and think a little bit about what is wrong with that. Is there anything wrong with what happened? And uh, David, he thought he was doing something good, right? Well, there's a flaw in it all. So we're going to start checking out and seeing what the flaw is. Uh, Numbers chapter number uh, 4. Book of Numbers chapter number 4. 
verse number 15. Numbers 4, verse number 15. And when Aaron and his sons made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward. After that, the sons of Korah shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Korah in the tabernacle of the congregation. There's a family of Levites who descend from a guy named Korah. And it's their job to carry that ark. And so they are instructed, whatever you do, don't touch it. You're going to die if you touch it. So don't touch it. So how are you going to move it and not touch it? All right, God says, don't you touch it. All right. How are you going to move it and not touch it? Well, let's take a look. Uh, number... Let's see. Let's go to Exodus 25. We'll come back to numbers here. But Exodus 25. So that you understand exactly what this thing looks like. Exodus 25. You can get the description of how to make the ark. Exodus 25 verse 10. They shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two, two uh, cubits and a half shall be the length of it. Cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Cubit and a half the height thereof. It's a rectangular box. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it. Shall make on it a crown of gold round about. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof. To be two rings shall be on one side of it, two rings on the other side. And so on the corners of the box, on each corner, there's rings. Golden, solid gold rings attached to the box. Alright? And Verse 13, thou shalt make staves of shit and wood and overlay them with gold. A stave is a long pole. So they're going to turn down in their own way these poles. And then they're going to cover these poles with gold. Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the side of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. So they're going to slide poles, golden poles, through those rings. And he said, don't ever take them out. They're going to stay there. Because that's how you're going to move it. You don't touch the box. You put the pole that goes through the rings on your shoulder. And there'll be four priests carrying each one with a pole on their shoulder, whichever side you're on. And that's how you move the Ark of the Covenant, by the poles. So he said, don't take the poles out. Leave them in there. And that's how you will carry the Ark of the Covenant wherever it needs to go. All right? And so... Uh, that's how you're supposed to move the ark. So he says, if you touch it, you'll die. Well, how are you going to move it? It's got poles 
with rings on it. Now I'll go to Numbers 7. Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7. Now, uh, Moses and his brother Aaron are of the tribe of Levi. And the Levites, tribe of Levi, are the people who take care of all God's business. All right? And so... uh, they got to move all this wherever they go. Now, some of these are pretty heavy. There's a brass altar, great big heavy brass altar. Uh, there's brass uh, uh, things in the ground that they drive in. There's poles that go into these brass uh, holders. There's a lot of heavy things. And it's hard to move, obviously. You move a whole big tent and then all the things that hold it up. Verse 6 of Numbers 7. Moses took the wagons and the oxen, gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Moriah, according to their service, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath, There's those guys again. He gave none because the service of the sanctuary belonging to them was that they should bear it on their shoulders. So the family that's responsible for moving the ark, they get no oxen, they get no wagon, they get nothing. You carry it. It's got the poles and the rings. If you touch it, you die. So I want you to carry it on your shoulder wherever you go. So, David... Moving the ark to Jerusalem. Good thing, right? Very good thing. Very, God's very pleased with that choice. He's going to move the ark to Jerusalem. They put it on a cart. Whoops. Whoops. Shouldn't go on a cart. And so on the cart, they hit a bad spot in the road. Starts to slide. Puts his hand up touches it was he better off to let it go yeah. but whose fault is it David 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 you're not thinking my friend you just made a tragic error right? why didn't you do it this way you say well look That was Moses just coming out of Egypt, slavery. They built the thing, and now they learn how to handle it. And they handle it. Don't forget, for generations it sat in Shiloh. Nobody did anything with it. Nobody moved it. Until they took it into battle and lost it to the Philistines. The Philistines sent it back on a cart. Right? So David said, we'll get a new cart. We'll get a bring it down, just bring it that way, and it falls. Now, here's what's hard to understand. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. It's also the longest uh, chapter in the whole Bible. 
In Psalm 119, David wrote through his whole life. And what he would do is sit down and read the Bible, and then he'd say, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And he'd write that down. And then he'd read, read a little more, and he'd write down, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And he writes that down. And every time he gets a thought about the Bible that he reads all the time, he writes it down. And the Psalm 119 is what he wrote his whole life from reading the Bible. No, his Bible's not your Bible. His Bible is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All those exciting books, right? All those big, real exciting ones. He probably had Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And maybe a little bit of Samuel, but not much. And so, that's his Bible. He's been reading it all the time for his whole life. And he didn't read it when it came time to move the ark. He said, put it on a cart, let's go. God said, no. That's not why it's got rings on it. That's not why the poles are there. That's not why I told him. So David's a little bit careless moving this ark. And so what's the point of it? That thing is a place where God's presence rests. And don't you dare trifle with the presence of God. Don't you dare. He said, don't touch it. Don't touch it. I don't want you touching it. Why? Because you're to have a holy fear and respect for God. And they kind of lost sight of that. Because God had been so far out in this, uh, the ark was so far away in Shiloh where nobody cared what happened. And now at a guy's house that's been there for 30 years, at that guy's house, and uh, nobody knew anything about it. They should have been more careful. It represents the presence of God. And so you got to be careful with it. So we go back to 2 Samuel 6. It says in verse 2, Whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. When they're writing this history down, they say, Hey, look, that ark is God's ark. The Lord of hosts. You know, the Lord of hosts means the God of armies. And it's dangerous to mess with God you don't get it right. So David is displeased. It's David's fault. Verse 9 now of 2 Samuel 6. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? And so David would not remove the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David, but he carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And so he says, We can't go any farther. We, we're, we're, we lost one guy, and I'm mad at God for it. Don't be mad at God. You should have known. You should have been more careful with it. And so 
He says, so we're by this guy's house, but put it at his house for a while. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom to get tight three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And so he's watching over the ark, and God blesses him and takes wonderful care of him and uh, does so many good things for him. <coughs> Verse 12, and it was told King David, saying, Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertained to him because of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. He said, oh, now we're going to do it. This time, we're going to get it right. This time, we're not going to make a mistake. No carts. We're going to carry it. And let's see what he does. He really gets it right this time. Verse 13. So it was that when they bare the ark of the Lord, had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Take a long time to, to go whatever it was, 15 miles. You take six paces and stop. Well, it's not feeling, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Stop! Make a sacrifice. Make a sacrifice there to the Lord of fire. Kill an animal. Make a sacrifice. Six more paces to stop sacrifice. He's going to get it right this time. He's not going to mess it up this time. He's going to treat every step as special and unique unto the Lord. And every little bit they sacrifice oxen and fatlings. And then... 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. Uh, he's dancing, jumping, spinning, dancing. He said, with all his might. He's not just bopping along. He's spinning, yeah, like the little girl did right here in the front. <laughs> He was into it. And David is just jumping and going and going. And he's got on a linen ephod, which would look like basically a, a, a coat, a white linen coat that would go down just below your knees. And so he has this coat. Now, the, the idea of the linen ephod is that's what priests wore. David's a king. He could have royal clothes on. No. He says, I want a plain white linen coat like the priests wear. This is the ark of God. We're going to treat it with the utmost respect. And I'm nobody, but I'm going to dance in front of that ark. And I'm going to go all the way. And so there he comes, verse 15. David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And so they're blowing, do, 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 blowing the trumpet. Here comes the ark of the covenant. And they get it in and set it up uh, in Jerusalem. Then something happened. Verse 16. The ark of the Lord came to the city of David. Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Now she's his wife. That's his wife. All right. She says, oh, this is horrible. They brought the ark of the Lord, set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. David offered 
burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of the burnt offering and peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He dealt among the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone, a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. So you're going to go home and feast. We'll give you enough to feast. Here's bread. Here's a chunk of meat. You go home and feast. And then 20, David returned to bless his household. There is a real guy's got it right. He got it right this time. Not only did he dance and make sure that the ark was treated with the utmost respect and honor. He got that all right. But he said, we're going to sacrifice to God, and then you're going home, and you're going to do this at home. I want you to take this spirit home with you and do it at home. Isn't that a good thing? If you can come to church, uh, it's more than that is necessary. We need to take it home with us and do it at home. That's what we need to do. You need to have that same spirit. Take it home. And everybody's sent home. And David comes. He's going to bless his household. He's going to thank the Lord. It's going to be wonderful. And he gets home. Verse 20. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. Or he didn't have all his fancy robes on and fancy clothes. He just had that plain white. And she said, you might as well have had nothing on. Uh, you... Uh, make me sick you're just like one of these people that I I don't want anything to do with and David said to Michael it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel therefore I will play before the Lord and I will yet be more vile than this and will be base in mine own sight and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of them shall I be had in honor therefore Michael the daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death I don't want anything to do with you because you don't want anything to do with God. It's hard for some people who have never honored God, never felt any draw towards God, to feel like David felt. With him, it's the highest emotion that you ever see in David as he's jumped up and down dancing in front of the ark he's bringing it where it ought to be he's bringing it home with respect and honor and they're sacrificing all the way playing music and singing and dancing and is so happy and his wife hates it she hates it and when someone really gets it together and really does it right uh, there are people who just are not going to get that. They are not going to understand that kind of emotion, that kind of thing. And so when people can't grasp the full meaning of honoring God and making God central in your life, then they just kind of 
Don't take it in. I told you David had a capacity for God. He had a heart that would, you could, God could fill up. Michael, his wife, God can't do anything. She's all harder than a brick. You can't pour anything into her. She's hard and, and angry and so forth. And so uh, he brings the ark home and he decides, I want to do something. So chapter 7, the king, verse 2, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Came to pass that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even in this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. David said, I want to build you a building. I live in a nice house, a nice, a beautiful home. I want to build one for you. And God says, No. No. I have lived in that plain, simple tent. And that's where I'm going to stay. You're not going to build me a house. But over in verse 13... Verse 12. Thy days shall be fulfilled. Thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And we know that was Solomon. Right? So when David, at the end of his life, said, I really would love to build this, God said, No. And then God told him, you've been a bloody man. You've been a man of war. I don't want that kind of a person building my house. And so I want your son to do it. And what David did is he bought all the materials. He bought all the logs and all the the gold and all the silver and everything was needed to build it. He had it all there ready. And then Solomon went ahead and built it. And so it became the central place of worship once again, not in a tent this time, but in it will be in the house of God. And David loved the house of God. So here's a lesson you learn. Uh, you want to do something for God. You want to make God central as a part of our lives and, and the, the focus of our attention. And somewhere along the line, you'll make a mistake. You can do it wrong. You, know, you think, oh, if my motives are good, well, sometimes that's not quite enough. But David said, oh, I better figure out how to do it right, and we'll do it right the second time. And that's a very, very valuable lesson. Because everything that you do is not going to be right. But God's more than willing to have you try again. Let's do it again. We'll get it right this time. We'll work at it. We'll help, you know, help you to understand what ought to be done. And so that's a high mark. First of all, that he moved it to Jerusalem. Second of all, he recognized his error and stopped. Figured out the right way to do it three months later and took it in with a great fanfare and a lot of respect to God. And so he got a second chance And God was pleased that he was willing 
to do it right the second time. So even when David is angry at God, God says, okay. You know, I know you may not quite understand it, but let's think about this and get it right. And so he did. So that's what makes David special. Because he can do something wrong and then turn around and get it right. And uh, he did a good job at that. All right, we'll go on a little more with David next week. Thank you.